you about that. Uh, that said, let's jump into James 3, 13 through 18. Uh, I'll read it for us. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So since you guys have been working through this letter, I think I can assume that uh, the last week or two you covered the earlier part of chapter 3 as James has lamented the harmful nature of the human tongue. You see, there have been some uh, would-be teachers and leaders of the church to whom James is, writing, James is writing that have not been gracious in their speech. And today's passage is, at least to some degree, it's James's straightforward answer to this problem of the tongue that has run rampant in this church. Uh, but coming in on it, colds, might feel a little jarring to us this morning, right? It starts right in the beginning, right from the first question. Are you wise? Are you understanding? You know, then prove it, uh, he says. Do something about it with good works, trading your wisdom. This might feel a lot to ask of us, maybe demanding of us. It might even feel, and I hesitate to say this, a little legalistic, Right? I'd say uh, that we're simply dropping in at the wrong point of the letter, like, oh, you don't understand. James has been talking about grace, and now we're at the end. The, the problem is James pretty much is this way the whole way through, right? Uh, you guys have seen it to this point. Uh, in the previous chapter, James makes the argument that faith without works is dead. Uh, this is pretty much James's, you know, uh, call to action. And this caused Martin Luther, even, to call this letter an epistle of straw, right? But is it, right? Is it that? Uh, I've, I've become friends with uh, the guy who has my job at Western Kentucky University, and uh, he told me this story once about how he signed up for a parking pass at our campus, uh, my alma mater. And essentially, you, you go to the Department of Transportation uh, there on campus, and they'll, uh, you know, issue a parking pass. And if you're, you know, like a low man on the totem pole, you're not even working for the university, you get like the Egypt pass. That's like what it's called. And the reason it's called that is because you go park in a parking lot like two miles away from campus and a shuttle then takes you to the campus. And then once you're at the campus, then if you want to get to the actual part, like where people are, then uh, Western Kentucky University, we're called the Hilltoppers for a reason. It's built on like a huge incline of a hill uh, and you have to walk up it to get to like where the university center is. And so essentially, it's a horrible parking pass to have, but it's all you have as a resource to you. Unless, my friend find out, 
uh, you can get the super premium parking pass. With the super premium parking pass, you can park anywhere you want on campus or off. You can park in Egypt if you want, but you can also park on a fire hydrant at the top of the hill if you want. Like, they, they don't do anything for that, apparently, right? It gives you free reign. My buddy comes to the department. And he says, hey, how do you get one of the super premium passes? The lady surprisingly says, actually, it's just a list. You sign up, and I, I will say it takes a few years, so I don't know if you'll ever get off of it, but, like, you know, you could sign up. And he says, you know what? It's his first year on campus. He says, you know what? Why not? Like, maybe by the, maybe by the last year here or something, like, I'll get up to the top of the list. And, uh, you know, years roll by. It's his fourth or fifth year on campus, and he says, uh, you know, it's weird. I haven't ever heard back about that. So he, he's going for his annual renewal of his past, and he goes to the lady who's at the window, and he says, hey, I was wondering if you could check where I am on this list. And uh, the lady, you know, punches in his name, and then she looks and she says, oh, you're not on the list. And he goes, what? And she goes, well, because you were called, it looks like two years ago, you should have gotten an email. And he, you know, just like, come on. Uh, he tells her like, well, that means I could, I, I'm due then. She goes, sorry, you missed the window to sign up. You're going to need to go back on the bottom of the list and work your way up. And he just says, like, is there anything he's pleading with her? And right about this time, a man walks by, and he, he sees him there in distress and says, hey, what's the problem? And he's the director of, the, of parking and transportation at, at WKU. And the guy goes, why don't you come back with me? Comes back to his desk, and he's you know, profusely, like, I'm so sorry. I always answer my emails, lie. But he's like, I, I do everything that I can. I try so hard. And the guy goes, hey, hey. And then just reaches into his desk and pulls out a super premium parking pass and gives it to him, right? Now, what if my friend had then proceeded to still park in Egypt for the rest of his job, right? Would have made no sense, right? And if students needed to... Uh, you know, move into their dorms or something, and like, uh, he's the only person you can park in the circle lots around the dorms. What if he had said, no, nah, I don't feel like doing that? In fact, what if he had just stopped showing up altogether? You'd be like, you, you were given this parking pass. Why don't you use it? It would make no sense. Well, friends, right, we have been given something much better than a super premium parking pass. Friends, we have the gospel. We have been given the good news of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection that has reconciled us with God and our neighbor, right? Uh, this is not an epistle of straw. It's an invitation to live out that good news, right? What James is doing this whole time is saying, you've been given the premium parking pass. Don't go park in Egypt. Park at the top, right? Live out the good news. Live out the privileges you have. Before us this morning, then, James like, kind of presents us with these two paths, right? One path, which is wisdom from below that's earthly, the one of someone who parks in Egypt, right? And one of wisdom from above, the one of someone who has received their parking pass and lives that out, enjoys it. Now let's look at them in turn, right? Starting with the path of those who heed earthly wisdom. Let's look at that first. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. Look at me at verses 14 through 16. Here James, right, he just cautions his readers. Earlier in chapter 3, James has been addressing what seems to be a group in the church, right, who are trying to be leaders and teachers. 
They're constantly speaking in ways uh, that cut others down. And this might be the same group from chapter 2 who were flattering wealthy and influential people that came to the church. Uh, Meanwhile, they were dishonoring and even ignoring the poor. Selfishly ambitious. That's what uh, James calls these kinds of people. Uh, Selfishly ambitious. It's an appropriate word to describe such people. It's the only time in the New Testament that word is used, but it, it gets at the heart of the problem, right? They want power for themselves, recognition for themselves, status for themselves, acceptance uh, by the cool people, approval from those that they deem important. And how they get those things is revealing, right? Uh, Paul says, or sorry, James says, in boasting and in lies, they build themselves up. They're their own hype man. Uh, and they lie, right? Likely, probably in two different ways, given the context, they lie by flattering those above them, right? And they lie by dishonoring and defaming those who are in stations below them. In verse 15, James makes the contrast clear. As opposed to true wisdom from God, those who walk this path, they have different priorities. And he describes them as this. Their wisdom is first earthly, right? They care about Uh, meeting their felt needs moment to moment, whatever is in front of them, right? It's it's, uh, just this world. Uh, It's defined by uh, Paul in Philippians 3.19. He uses the same word of earthly. He calls the enemies of the cross of Christ, they have their minds set on earthly things, right? Not, uh, it puts them in enmity with Jesus. Uh, The other thing their wisdom is, is it's unspiritual. Uh, This is Uh, an adjectival form of the word soul, right? Uh, It focuses on the inner life of a person. Uh, To put it in like bad English, it's like it's soul-like. Their their stuff is confined to just what happens in their feelings and their emotions and their desires. Uh, And in fact, in the New Testament, every time this word is used, it's used in contrast to the word spiritual, right? So opposed to the Holy Spirit, opposed to God's ruling in our lives. This says, I rule my life. It ushers from human feelings that reign supreme. The last thing this wisdom is, right, James says, is that it's demonic. Now, that could be understood as demonic as being like demon-like. It's demonic in nature. It's evil. But more likely, it is a type of wisdom or behavior that is demonic in origin, right? That it comes from not above, but from below. As demons are servants of the devil, this wisdom, right, comes from Satan. In other words, right, if you put these things together, if you put uh, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic together, you get the three enemies of the Christian life, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? It's echoed in scripture over and over and over again. This wisdom comes from those sources, And it's appropriate to ask ourselves, right, is this me? Is this me? Do I take this kind of wisdom? Is this how I live my life? Do I embellish uh, my accomplishments to impress other people? Do you flatter your bosses and your superiors to make yourself look better and to work your way up? Do you speak ill of others uh, to make yourself look better? Are you consumed by ambition? Do you look for power and approval and status wherever and however you can find it? Is that what your life is built upon? Right? You can do this in subtle ways too, right? These can happen in good things, right? Paying off a mortgage, uh, 
getting a promotion, posting edgy takes on social media that everyone likes that's in your tribe, right? We do this in subtle ways that, like, they're not even bad, but if our heart motivations, right, are about pleasing ourselves, doing for ourselves, getting enough for ourselves, being safe and comfortable for us, right, our life is being shaped by our desires and our expectations rather than God's desires and his expectations, right? Is this you? Is Jane describing your kind of wisdom? This is something uh, in my role, too, that I get the privilege of just dropping in uh, and uh, pressing even the leaders of your church, right? If you remember, I said that particularly this portion of the letter is written to a bunch of people who have some sort of sway, right? Either um, informal or formal positions of power in a church, right? Men and women alike. In the context of James chapter 3, right, this is written to those folks especially, who influence the church. Are these your motivations? It's no surprise that in verse 16 then, James describes a system with leaders like this one to be one that is full of disorder and vile practice. That word, right, disorder, it's not used to just mean chaos, right? We might think of like a messy room when we think of disordered. But rather, this has actually been used twice. This word, disorder, has been used twice in this letter already. And it's used both times to talk about being double-minded, right? You're not ordered. You, you have two allegiances. It's an unsettled life, right? The target ever changes. When you set your goal as the approval of other people, then whatever other people think and want, and that changes daily, right? You then have to appease them, right? Which means that your goal of your life is going to be ever-shifting, it's no surprise that if you, those are your leaders who are in this sin, man, a system runs wild like that. When leaders are not concerned with holiness and dying to themselves, man, a flock follows suit. Now, I will say, I'm thankful that from where I sit, God has given your community a couple of great leaders, great uh, ruling elders as well, uh, men and women who are rooted in God's word and his will, but, right, if we're going to take James seriously, I would just say we have to take that warning that, like, this can happen to any healthy church. I'm dropping in. I get to say all this, and then I just leave, um, right? But we have to remember that, that, that this is what God is calling not just us individually into, but corporately and our leaders into a life that does not reflect on our wisdom, but his. Now, James does not only give us warnings, though, right? He shows us a more excellent way. Let's Look at verses 13 and 17 through 18. Verses 13 and 17 through 18. For the truly wise, James offers another route, right? The wise in verse 13 are described as understanding. Uh, the only time that word is used in the New Testament. Uh, in other first century literature around the same time, uh, it refers to like a professional type of knowledge, right? It's someone who has an understanding in a certain field. In other words, they're like, they're an expert. Uh, James is asking who among us, right, are experts on God and his ways. The truly wise, right, they know God in his mercy and in his kindness, in his holiness, right? And because of that, it's not surprising then that James expects good works to flow from people who are experts in who God is and what he does for them. 
this leading question of verse 13 is followed by a demand for evidence, right? That, that should be a reproof to those who should hear that warning, right? But also, man, if you're here this morning and you are in Christ, it should be an encouragement to you that you are wise, right? You're the one, you're the person who's supposed to be able to say, yes, in this sense, I'm a professional in my field because God gives himself to me in his word and I can know him through that, right? We ought to have wisdom, James says, right? And, and that is uh, bearing the mark of meekness uh, in verse uh, 17, right? Or sorry, verse 13, right? It's meekness. Uh, meekness of self-subduing gentleness, right? That's, that's not a virtue in the ancient world any more than it is today, right? The idea of denying yourself, of making yourself low and putting others actually intentionally ahead of you. Meekness does not seek your best life now. Uh, it does not manifest all your goals. Uh, meekness actually evokes the idea of servitude right? It's yielding your own power and becoming weak. Well, how do we know this? Uh, well, it's how Jesus describes himself. <laughs> In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, and this was mentioned earlier as we were working through our liturgy, he says he is meek and lowly in heart. As he, uh, gentle, meek, they're the same word, uh, and lowly in heart, as he invites sinners to rest by following him, right? We worship a Savior who laid down his life so that we might live. Our lives, right, that have to be shaped by that reality. That changes everything. And if they are, James continues in verse 17, they will first and foremost be characterized by purity. Look at verse 17. When James described those who heed the wisdom from below, we saw that they were double-minded with mixed motives out to protect their own position, jealous of it even. But the one who aspires to live before the face of God, he or she is pure. They're pure. They are a single-minded person concerned with glorifying God and enjoying him forever. You know what you're getting with someone who loves the Lord, who seeks wisdom from above. They are consistent right? They are not aiming at a moving target. They are aiming to please the Lord and the Lord alone. And notice that not all of these virtues, right, that James lists here uh, are equal. They're not equal. James lists purity as first, and then all the other virtues follow in equal measure after. This is because purity of heart brings forth all the other virtues. Uh, it is only in being captured by the work of the Holy Spirit that one can bear fruit, right? When we find God beautiful, then our lives can become beautiful. Uh, it's worth noting, uh, I, I don't have time to go through all the virtues and what they are one by one. Uh, that'll be, have to be a sermon for another day. But it's worth noting that God is, is first fo focused on our heart, right? Even as God talks about uh, behavioral modification, right? As he asks us to do things, the first thing he wants is purity. The first thing he wants is us, right? You can, you can be as good of a person as you want to be. You can obey, you can read your Bible every day, be such a sweet person, volunteer in the community. If you do not know the Lord, if you have not been captured by his goodness, if you have not put your faith in Jesus's work alone, then it's, it's nothing, right? In, in James's mind, it's got to be first, you have to be pure in heart. Your allegiance can't be to yourself. It has to be to God. Uh, 
But you cannot be peaceful, gentle, merciful, loving, correctable people if we are not first caught up mind, body, and spirit in the beauty of God to the point that it overflows in our lives. Right? Leave it to God to say, even as I want you to be different, I want you to just love me. Right. When my wife, uh, Maddie, and I were early on in our dating relationship, uh, we went on a hike together outside Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, as people would pass us on the trail, I would see them walking by, and I would say, howdy, to the people who want, howdy, howdy. It's a, kind of a thing for me. And at one point, Maddie kind of chuckled and pointed out that she'd never heard me say howdy in any other context. She's like, it's weird that you're saying howdy. Uh, and I told her that it was, it was kind of my life stream to become the kind of person that says howdy to people, right? Uh, that I, I know, it's a weird dream. It's a, like, that's what I want out of life is to be the kind of guy that says howdy to strangers on a trail. And I told her that my dad actually used to say it uh, when he'd enter a room. He'd ask everybody, like, howdy. It's kind of his normal greeting. And he, he never seemed to meet a stranger, right? He had inside jokes with people that he had known for five minutes, Right? Uh, my desire to say howdy was simply the external manifestation of a captured heart. Right? I found his life, I found his love for people, I found his graciousness alluring, right? and I mimicked that behavior. Right? I, wanted, I wanted a piece of that, and so I did what he did. I wanted to be my dad, I wanted to share in that life, so I followed him in it, even if just to say howdy. <laughs> do we do the same with Jesus? right? Do we do the same with Jesus? Do you find him beautiful? Do you see him giving himself up for you? Do you uh, see him loving other people selflessly and therefore selflessly love your neighbor, giving yourself up for them? This is the way of the wise, brothers and sisters, right? Uh, now, this is not the answer to every one of life's problems, but if you don't find Jesus beautiful, if you find your heart growing cold to him, man, when's the last time you were in the word, right? How do you get that beautiful Jesus in front of you? You read. You read about him. You read through him. You, he reads you. Right? Open the Bible. You allow yourself to see this beautiful Jesus for who he is uh, front and center, uh, and, and when we do that, right, when we put that beautiful vision of God in front of us so that we are pure in heart, right, you'll say your howdies, right? You will love caring for people the way that you see yourself loved and cared for in the pages of the scriptures. Now, it's worth asking, right, whether your individual life demonstrates that, and I just, I just did, but it's also, again, worth wondering, worth positing if this describes your church too, Right? When people come here to Emmaus Road, do they encounter a community that is peaceful, gentle, merciful, loving, even teachable? Right? Or to put a, a, an even finer point on it, again, are your leaders modeling these things to you? Uh, I'm never getting invited back here. That's fine. Um, right? I, I know Dan and David. I can say that you're in good hands. But it's just worth asking, right, is wisdom a commitment that you as a body, right, not just your leaders, but you as a body, is this kind of wisdom what you share together? Is it what you strive toward for each other? Do you check each other? Do you ask the hard questions? Hey, 
seems like you're kind of buying into your own hype, right? It seems like you are listening to wisdom from below. Is this a community that you are pushing each other towards wisdom from above? This, it's not just an individual endeavor, right? James writes this letter to a church and he asks, are you collectively this kind of people, not just this kind of person? Now I'll say this, if you are in good hands, I think you are, maybe this is simply an encouragement to you to persevere in that goodness. Maybe this is a body that does that. I think you are, right? Uh, But uh, it's worth saying, like, think Thank your pastors when you see them. Thank your ruling elders. Thank uh, the women who teach and lead your Bible studies and things. Like just remember them in your prayers. Pray for them because if it was easy to do all of that, James wouldn't write this letter, right? If it was easy to just have a church that cared about these things, that had wisdom from above, that loved their neighbors, was selfless, if that was all easy, then James would never write a letter like this. But the reality is we fall into these traps all too easily. So, uh, yes, encourage your leaders. Uh, Tell them that you love them, that you're thankful for them. Give them respites like you have, uh, which is why I'm here today, right? Whereas the wisdom uh, from below, right, whereas that produces double-mindedness and sin, right? If we are a church that pursues wisdom from above, right, we will, as God promises in verse 18, man, you, you as a church, you will produce a harvest of righteousness sown in peace. That's the promise you have. Embrace it this morning.